0: In and across Chicago and over the internet, you can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon.
1: Hi, my name is Juan Pablo, and I will be reading the scripture for you today. Uh, You will see it behind me on the screen. Uh, You can use your app on your phone, or if you need a Bible, uh, we have some in the back, and you're uh, free to take them with you. Uh, So I'll be reading from Genesis 1, 26 through 31, then Genesis 2, 8 through 9, and 15 through 25. Relax, as we read. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. God created humanity in God's own image, the divine image God created them, male and female God created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds and all the trees whose fruit produces its its seeds within it. These will be your food. To all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything he made. It was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from the tree in the garden, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But for Adam, no sustainable helper was found. So the Lord caused a man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both, were both naked, and they felt no shame. May God, as a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture,
0: Good morning. morning. Hi. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I serve as the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater, and I am so happy you are here. Will you pray with me? God who saw swirling dust and imagined a beautiful world God, who took the dust of those stars and breathed life into them. You, God, see our lives and see hope and possibility. See your own image as we are created. So, God, we offer our lives, our hearts, our bodies up to you. May we be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, Our brains are incredibly powerful machines. I don't know if you know this or if yours works like this, Uh, but trust me, your brain is a fascinating machine that has taught you how to survive, that has taught your ancestors how to survive in order that you may be here. All these methods getting us to this point, our brains teach us to sort things and help us make decisions to understand others and understand the threats around us, allowing us to survive. This is a genetic strength built into our body so that we may arrange things based on safety and, and danger, based on so that we may be able to tell the difference when a baby cries and when uh, an ambulance goes blaring down the street. Our brains can also prioritize things, telling us when something is urgent and when something can wait. Our brains can tell us when a text message pings or the anxiety-ridden feeling ridden feeling when a phone is ringing and a call is coming through. I don't know if you avoid answering calls and it causes you so much stress, but unless it's a call from my grandmother who doesn't understand email, let alone texting, I don't answer phone calls. Unless it's one of you beloved, wonderful people, I'll let it go to voicemail and then I'll call you back. <laughs> because sorting is important. Not only does it help us survive, it also helps us celebrate. Sorting helps us celebrate difference and diversity. We understand difference as a means, not that we are threatened by it, but that we celebrate God's creative difference, God's creative exploration in creating humanity. By sorting, especially the sorting of people though, this can create great harm. Because sometimes we draw strong lines between things, creating just two right or wrong answers, assuming this way of being is right, this way of being is wrong, this way of being is strong, and this one is weak, this way of being is good, and this way is bad. And so the arrangement of individuals creates sometimes mental shortcuts in our wiring. So implicit bias is a mental shortcut towards racial bias in our brains. These are things that are built into us. Sexism is a mental shortcut creating patriarchal bias or bias towards uh, male-identified folks. And also, saying Uggs are unfashionable is a mental shortcut for Texans who have never experienced a polar vortex and the freezing toes of negative 20-degree weather. <laughs> One of these shortcuts we are unpacking for the next few weeks is gender association, gender identity. We're unpacking a new sermon series called In the Image of God. Understanding gender better. Can you do me a favor? Turn to your neighbor and say, you are created in the image of God. Oh, that was so lovely and it didn't sound like you meant it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am created in the image of God. Oh, you believed that one. Okay. Over the next several weeks, you'll be hearing from lots of people at UVC talking about gender, gender identity, gender expression, assigned gender, all of this language much about gender and how it kind of moves and ebbs and flows through different people. We as a society and a church are attempting to follow Jesus more faithfully. We're actively working on changing our language around gender, these compounding effects of discrimination based on gender, gender identity and expression and race. And so we're trying, you and I, we are trying to be learning partners in this work of discussion, in this work of education, seeking to follow God's creative work through you, through me, through human expression. And human expression, let's just be real, is often sweaty and weird and wild and beautiful. So we're gonna add grace to our conversation over the next few weeks because we see in today's passage, Genesis, that creation is often sweaty and weird and wild and beautiful. Because there are two accounts of creation, Whoa. Whoa. Pump the brakes. Hold up, y'all. Did you hear that? You might not have noticed because we read through them kind of quickly, but there were two, two accounts of creation. So let me break it down for you and tell you how I like to read Genesis. There's one account in Genesis 1. There's another account in Genesis 2 of the different ways that God created the world into into being, created this mad, mad world. So Genesis 1, if you want to kind of summarize it, think of it like a, a nightclub Does it make it lame you know my age if I call it a nightclub? You know that I like to be in bed at 9.30, but I like to imagine a nightclub looks like swirling smoke, chaos moving and flashing lights, life is a dance floor, God is the DJ, and God is bumping hits every once in a while proclaiming, this is the best day slash night ever! So creation in Genesis 1 becomes this sanctuary, a safe haven for those on the dance floor to flourish and get down with their bad selves. And then on the sixth day, the creation, the, the music starts to swell, the beat gets intense. God pushes forth this creative image of humans. It says, God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created the male female, God created them. God blessed them. And God said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but this is basically what God said, go on, get it, have some fun, do some consensual sex, make some babies, care for the earth. And then God saw it all, kicked back, cracked open a good beer and said, oh, this is darn good. So, you know, I paraphrased there, but basically that's what God said. But really this story is so Freaking important, because in some traditions, it's this poetic Hebrew story of a dance floor swirling and swimming, but for some traditions, it turns into this proof for conformity for individuals, because what does it mean to be made in God's image? Does it mean that certain bodies are right and certain anatomical bodies are wrong? Does it mean that all those bodies get mixed up into this strange morphed creature So uh, I want you, if you feel like nerding out, pull out those readers. Does anybody? I didn't bring my Harry Potter glasses with me, which I normally carry. But we can understand this passage if we're understanding the Hebrew language as a poetic expression of who God is. The Hebrew term used for creature or human being is ha-adam, meaning human being or humankind. This is neither a female or plural term, but most scholars believe it encompasses all of the genders, creation, because it reflects creation and humankind. So the interpretation means the spectrum of humanity, spectrum of gender identity, gender expression, race, ethnicity, is all contained in God's image. This complex beauty of God can be witnessed in the complex beauty of creation of humans. And then we move on to Genesis 2, which is a different story, not the like, chronological day-by-day ordering, but it's more like a birth story, teaching about the, the terror of birth <laughs> and also the beauty of holding forth the new creation. And so Genesis 2 tells of this deep and powerful relationship between God and humans who were first born into the world. So God draws up the dust. We didn't read this passage in verse uh, two, but God draws up the dust of the earth and pulls forth and molds together this non-gendered, non-sexed creature into being. And then God gives holy CPR, filling the lungs into this prototype with life. This creature is also referred to in Hebrew, ha-adam, human creature. And if you aren't confused yet, let's continue to nerd out, get out your spectacles again, and saddle up your dead language skills. Early Jewish scholars and then later Hebrew scholars believed this original creature was non-binary, meaning they didn't conform to one or the other of a gender Because we know this because of some wordsmithing. So here, the god gives the dirt creature, Ha-Adam, some awesome sleeping pills like the best on the market and performs this cesarean-like section, then pulling forth this new creature with a new name, Isha, female. And now that the two are separate, God creates difference and distinction and creativity with this leftover creature who is now known as Ish, or male. The two creatures are new, no longer the Adam of once before. And so if we, if we carry these stories side by side, They are both included in our text in order to empower us to see the power of God's creativity in developing life, not just as one individual, but as a multiplicity of expressions, to care and then also the command to care for God's creation and to worship the creator who brought them into this creative existence. So the through line, the through line through both of these passages, why Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are often read together and it makes it weird that we didn't realize that there were two stories, is that humans are called into companionship. We are not meant to be alone, but to develop a committed relationship celebrating one another. So God speaks to these humans, not about this is your gender, not about this is your sex and what it means, but about their relationship to understand God's good creation. This is what God wants to speak to humanity. Relationship is not a shortcut though. It takes a lifetime to understand. It takes a lifetime of commitment and care to one another to bring forth what God has created. So our new sermon series is this attempt to understand gender, gender identity as a community that chooses to follow God. And the discussion of gender is really important because it shows up every darn where. It shows up in children's toys. It shows up in your haircuts. It shows up in the way you wear your clothes or the way someone else presents themselves. It shows up in commercials. Everywhere we go, people want to tell us about our gender, who we should be and how we should present to the world. So it's important that we as a church understand what God says about gender, that we may then understand what we do and believe in the world and how we faithfully follow God, seeing God's mystery and creativity in creation. So to catch us up to speed, take out those readers one more time. Saddle up your living language skills because this time we're doing it in English first word that we need to understand is cisgender. C-I-S, gender. Does anybody know what that means? No, you won't be asked. There's no test. I won't call you out. Cisgender, for those who don't know, no shame. It's this beautiful word that represents those who present and live as the gender the same as the one they were assigned at birth. So for example, I am cisgender. When I was born, My birth certificate says Aaron Jablonski. I know, that's not my name now. (laughs) My parents changed my name after I was born. But the important thing to know, really, is that also on that birth certificate, it says I represented female in my body parts. I've never had a test to know if uh, the chemicals within my body also match what my body parts represent. But cisgender usually means that your body, you present the same you were assigned on your birth certificate. Another form or language we should talk about is transgender, and transgender is an umbrella term, this huge term that can encompass a lot of different meanings and things. It can include uh, transgender people who identify with a binary, identify as transgender male, presenting as male, or can identify as transgender female, presenting as female. It can also be people who don't identify, non-binary, not identifying with either male or female, but trying to explore and express totally different expressions of who they are deep within. So transgender can include, but not is not limited to, body physical alteration, changing one's body to fit the expression they feel of who their gender is, but, uh, or dressing to fit how they feel their body is, But being transgender doesn't require medical intervention. It doesn't require dressing a certain way. It doesn't require living into two types of gender, but it it does invite the exploration and trying on of new things, the being creative with who you are. And so we understand that sex, sex, uh, the sex assigned at birth, is way more complicated than we ever were taught to believe, that more people are born actually intersexed which is a totally com- another thing where you are born with a verging, a fluid of both genders within you. This complicating blending of two, two genders makes us realize that having just two genders is not enough, but that we require this blending of who we are and who we express ourselves to be. Another term that we should know is gender identity. Gender identity is the core of one's being associated with genders or non-genders based on one's internal compass. This is different from sexual orientation, which is about uh, who you might or might not be attracted to, but gender identity is uh, something that usually people know deep within early on if they are allowed to express it. And for cisgender folks, uh, gender identity can be kind of difficult, so I'm gonna kind of unpack it a little bit um, because it's something for myself I've never experienced. I've never had to risk dressing differently or embodying and expressing my body other than what others find acceptable. So the decision to live one's life as trans is a truthful expression of one's personhood. And this can be actually very dangerous. The danger is exponentially higher for trans women of color in 2018. That's like a month, y'all. 82% 82% of the fatal anti-trans violence deaths, violent deaths, were against people of color. 82%. And so it's a particular point of courage. It should be celebrated in our community that even a deadly reality such as the threat of death and violence doesn't stop trans people from living their truth, but, it de- but they continue to de- demand to be known as their full selves. And so... I'm going to tell you about one of my faves, Mashiro, a woman of courage and life in the world, Marsha P. Johnson. Marsha P. Johnson, the P means pay it no mind, meaning pay those haters no mind, honey, because she wants her gay rights now. Marsha was not her name given at birth, but that doesn't matter. Marsha was the name she went by, and she lived in a world where the word transgender was not a part of the culture of the vocabulary. However, we do know that if Marcia had lived to see today, she might have used that word for herself based on what her friends know about her. Because Marsha dressed how she felt, usually with a fabulous crown of flowers in her hair, and she required people call her using her pronouns, she and her. And the reason we honor Marsha is because in the summer of 1969, it was a hot, sweaty, and frightful summer. In New York City, they were targeting gay people. Being gay was not even legal in New York City in 1969, and so the police were trolling through all of New York City, mostly through bars, mostly through homes, and mostly through parks, public places, wrangling up people who were gay, who looked gay, who acted differently, who didn't dress the way they thought they should, kicking them out of establishments, forcing them into homelessness, and locking them up without just cause. And so after all of these arrests were happening throughout the city of uh, New York City, early on the morning of June 28th, 1969, the police attempted to raid this local bar that was known as a safe haven for queer po- folks, particularly those who were transgender, because at the time most establishments were very hostile towards people who didn't express the right the, the right. Uh, gender or sexuality in their establishment. So the police show up at this bar, the Stonewall Inn, maybe you've heard of it. They They attempt to beat the door down. And so those hiding just for safety, for a safe haven on that dance floor, within that bar, decided they were fed up with the constant persecution for simply existing. So those in the Stonewall Inn decided to band together to barricade the door and to peacefully resist. And it's hard to corroborate all the details because some people definitely want to say they were there at the Stonewall Inn on June 28th. But what we do know from accounts from her friends is that Marsha was there. And as the story and the legend goes, Marsha took a shot gas glass, threw it on the ground and said, enough is enough. I want my gay rights now, honey. And so Marsha was there encouraging the resistance and solidarity among her folks. She and a bunch of other trans women of color led a movement that became the gay liberation. And then also the next year in 1970, the gay pride of oneself whom God created. That's why we march in the streets the last weekend of June every year. It's because of Marsha Pay It No Mind Johnson. The sad thing is that the gay movement in the following years would leave behind and distance itself from those who were at Stonewall. Everybody wanted to say they were there, but no one wanted to say that the transgender and the queer and the gender variant were there. And so they furthered this separation of people, this sorting of people, uh, furthering discrimination and hurt. But despite all the discrimination, Marcia and her friend Sylvia Rivera this fellow trans woman of color created their own movement called STAR. It was this housing assistance program for trans people experiencing homelessness. And they offered them not only a place to live, but they offered a community that said, girl, fix that eyeliner. That don't look good. They offered a community that said, I know a florist that's giving away great flowers for your crown. And so they offered this place to feel accepted and celebrate their image of God likeness. Marsha P. Johnson died in 1992. Her body was found floating in the Hudson River. And she had a large traumatic head wound to her skull. The police at the time ruled her death a suicide, uh, but many of her friends believed that Marsha would not have taken her own life. Many witnesses said that Marsha that evening was fleeing from some type of fear and threat on her life. Many knew that she presented a presence as a black transgender woman and violence was regularly forced upon transgender bodies of color. And despite all that, the police never looked into her death, never had any suspicion that it was a homicide. And so to this day, Marsha still awaits God's justice. And while Marsha P. Johnson's story does end tragically, we know that her identity, the work of her life, and her presence as a creature of God on the earth God gave, brings great delight. So we trust, we trust that Marsha When God gets everything God wants, we will meet Marsha at that banquet table, a little bit like this, but probably with a lot more flowers around it. And she'll pass out all the flower crowns. You get a flower crown and you get a flower crown. And we all get flower crowns from Marsha. So it is right, this Black History Month, that we honor and remember Marsha as a leader of challenging how we see gender, how we experience the beauty of God expressing our true inner selves for the glory of God and to allow others to learn to worship a God, a God who doesn't claim any gender, but a God who wraps up all those strange, different qualities and calls it so darn good. Even though the world is deeply invested in sex and gender, this all leads to power and economics and education and access and bodies that are all wrapped up in these structures pressing and pushing people to adhere to two standards of bodily normality. You and I know God is not pink or blue. God is a rainbow of diversity and color and expression. God uses that paintbrush to paint you and I in this beautiful, creative image that flourishes to show God's image, stirring up how normal culture acts, turning tables and queering the image of God to include more of God's beloved people in community. This is what Jesus does to his followers saying, you come in, you come in you get a flower crown too at this beloved table of God. Will you pray with me? God, you created us in your image. Not in the way that our bodies are built anatomically, but God, in the way that our spirits are connected to one another. In the way that you see bodies of different abilities, and disabilities, bodies of different colors and spectrums, bodies of different expressions, and you say, oh, I did a good job. And so, God, we celebrate who we are, created in your image. You are our God, and we are your people. Give us the courage to continue to live as our most full, truest selves as you created us. Give us the courage to make spaces and places for people to try on new new aspects of themselves. May we be a place that celebrates your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.